RadioInfluence.com. Hey gang, this week's Real Animals podcast, super excited to have with me the Mad Snooker, Captain Dave Pomerlu. And Mad is probably the best descriptive word for Dave Pomerlu because he does about 95%, 98% of his fishing at night, um, does it in the dark and does it way better than anybody else on the west coast of Florida. Monster, monster snook. His website is absolutely covered with him. He's been doing it for many, many, many years. Thousands and thousands and thousands of big snook have been caught by the man we call the Mad Snooker. Really looking forward to this podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy it as much as I'm looking forward to doing it. Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of the Real Animals Podcast presented by my good friends at Contender Boats. In this week's episode, I'm uh, truly honored and blessed to be joined by one of the best uh, in the business. You know him as the Mad Snooker. Captain Dave Palmerlu, who catches them all, big and small. Um, I think the number, if I'm not mistaken, I think the number was 80,000 snook. Is that the number, Dave? Me personally, probably about 80,000. Between myself and everybody I've taken, it's over 300,000. That's crazy, bro. 3,000 snook and then... Four, about 300,000, over 300,000 snook between myself and everybody I've ever taken in 45 years. And then how, I was reading, I'm I, I, trying to do some homework here and, and jumped on the Dave Pomerlu Mad Snooker website. And uh, you figure you have 400 fish over 20 pounds? Oh, that's probably more like... 600? It's probably more like 700 now. <laughs> yeah. Um, in total, but like uh, my myself personally, yeah, I've probably caught about probably about five hundred over twenty pounds, and uh, I don't I, I don't keep track of the uh, people that I take on charters, so it would probably be like fifteen hundred over twenty pounds over the last like thirty five years. That's crazy, bro. Absolutely mind blowing. Those of you who don't know the Mad Snooker story. Captain Dave Pomerleau, uh, he's one of the only charter captains that I know that isn't all raccoon-eyed up. Uh, that's because he does most of his damage in the dark. Uh, how did this whole thing get started for you? Did you grow up? Are you from the west coast of Florida here originally? Well, I was originally from Waterville, Maine, but we moved down here when I was just barely nine years old. Okay. Uh, we moved to Oneco, and then we moved from Oneco to Sarasota very shortly after that and that's where i kind of got my stuck fishing start i can uh i see why that works so well for you because uh it's a snooky place there's no doubt there's no doubt about it what uh what kind of drove you dave to do this thing in the dark well my next door neighbor was a very well-known snook fisherman and, and, and he wrote a book called how to fish for snook and uh he came out on the uh dock where I was standing when I was uh, you know, about just about nine, nine and a half, about, yeah, about nine and a half years old. And he looked at me and he goes, what are you doing, Dave? And I go, oh, I'm fishing. And he says, yeah, you're fishing. He says, let me see that rod you're using. And it was a, like a Zepco um, little push button rod and reel. And he grabs it and reels it in. And I 
had like a diamond sinker and pink beads and steel leader and chunks <laughs> of squid on there. And he said, you're catfishing. And he broke it over his leg and <laughs> I kind of got big eyed and he said, come here and took me into his garage and he gave me a brand new Mitchell 300 with a seven foot Shakespeare rod and put a tie to Wild Willie on there with brand new line and taught me how to cast that thing. And uh, he spent like two hours teaching me how to cast it. And then he took me down to Midnight Pass that was open. This was Midnight Pass, Sarasota, that evening. And on my third cast, I caught a around a 21 to 22 pound snook. Wow. And that was the night that ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you. That was the night that assured Dave was not going to probably, you know, I don't know. I got it. I got hooked on fishing. I mean, I got really hooked on snook. And that was that was the uh, beginning of the end. Uh, I never excelled at school, and I, and I wasn't excelling at school before fishing anyway. But the the snook was the one thing that, as I kept fishing for him, it was the one thing that everybody thought was a big deal. And my all my buddies at school, they couldn't catch him, but I was getting to where I could catch him at will. And you know, it was something. Like, that little thing that I, I had a little pride in it was, you know, it, and it just became a bad obsession. <laughs> and I, I didn't like killing them. Even back then, I didn't like killing them. I, I didn't eat them. I didn't like to, I just like to let them go, let them grow. And I kind of always been that way. Yeah, that part has uh, always been one of my favorite things about you. Uh, I bet I, I can't imagine. I know we've talked about it on the radio shows uh during your fishing reports in the past, but uh, the fact that you don't even eat fish uh, is uh, is quite interesting to me. Completely allergic to it. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's probably a good thing. It's a good thing for the West Coast uh, Florida snook population that you don't eat them because uh, you've caught a keeper or two in your day. There's no doubt. Oh my goodness! I don't. I, it used to be so crazy back. I mean, it was nothing. It was not. I mean, I can. I can't even remember how many nights we went out there and caught twelve, fifteen, twenty snook a night over forty inches. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, we used to go out and I used to stand on the seawall at Blind Pass in St. Petersburg and catch eight to ten a night. There were thirty-seven to forty anyway, and it was nothing. And there'd be crowds standing there at Woody's Bar cheering me on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and let me ask you. Bad at me because I wouldn't show them what I was using. <laughs> let me ask you because that was one of the questions I wanted to uh, I wanted to get to uh, during this conversation again. Dave Pomelo, the Mad Snooker, joining me here on the Real Animals Podcast. How have you seen Dave in, in all the years you've been doing this? How, how have you seen the fishery change? Oh, unbelievable! Uh, Two thousand and ten was really really hard on him. It really was. Right. Uh, that freeze was unbelievable, and 2018, that red tide really messed up a lot of the big snook. Um, it pushed them. The ones that didn't kill, I think it actually pushed a lot of them to the north. Yeah, I think so, <clears> too. Me. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it pushed a lot of them to the north because uh, I just, it was weird. It, it's, I was catching a, you know, I was having some pretty good, pretty darn good years in 2015, 16, 17. We were getting 40 to 60 snook a season over 40 inches. And then 2018 came and the red tide hit. And this past spring, summer, it's, and I'm getting some in like April and May and a few in June. And then 
just but nothing nothing like it should be um, yeah. the water's just been really I don't know it's, it's just been when it got hot and got rainy and we had a lot of rain we've had a lot of rain recently and I think we're going to get a lot of rain this weekend and it mucked up the water and we weren't getting near near as many uh, big snook this this year as we we should have and uh, I didn't venture up into Pinellas County and up into uh, Bradenton, which I think I might go ahead and start doing that a little bit more, just because of I believe the fishery has sort of probably moved to the north a bit. Right. I don't know how long that'll last. It, it, it could take, we could have a lousy winter this year, and it'll blast it all right back down. Right. Yeah, that could no be. Telling. Yeah, right, right. I think that cold weather could push them back our way. That, that's what you're thinking? one of those things that all of us I think that make a living on the water would you have to get our fingers crossed our toes crossed everything crossed praying that we get a couple good years of break here and let these fish recover from uh, you know what was you know the worst red tide I've ever seen um, so there's no doubt just total total craziness but but you are still seeing good numbers of big fish I mean you know obviously I think you know if anybody has their finger on the pulse of the snook fishery on Florida's west coast it's you so that's why I asked the question there's still lots of big fish I mean you go to the east coast and you know you want to catch a big snook you go to Jupiter and I I don't I'm not harping on anybody that fishes in Jupiter but those snook are dumber than a box of rocks <laughs> 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 I mean, you go to Jupiter, you grab a croaker, you drop it over, and you count to three, and you start reeling. It's all—it's almost that simple, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And like you, you, people always say, "Wow, you see those big ones under Juno Pier?" And I say, "Yeah, it takes a rocket scientist to catch one, you know." Right? <laughs> you just drop a—you drop a croaker under Juno Pier in, in July, and you're on. <laughs> it's just a matter of having enough muscle to pull them out of there. Uh, that's crazy. But those fish get beat up, you know. They get put in a hoop net, hauled way up in the air the way I used to do a lot when I was much younger. And But I was a lot more gentle with them. I never even set them down. And if I eased them down with the hoop net, it was always, I always kept the hoop net supported up off the ground where they never hit the ground. And still, that net, it, it rubs the stress coat off the side of them. It's, it, it, it's hard on the scales. And you got to get it up fast. And if you're going to take a picture, you better do it really quick. I mean, take one, two fast shots, that's it. Lay it back down in the net and get the net over the side and zip it down to where it's almost giving you rope burn. And then, you know, ease it into the water at the last moment and then let him sit there in that net. Let him sit there and then just ease the net side to side. And when the fish starts to come upright, and looks like it's ready to go. To drop the hoop real quick and let it swim out. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know I, I don't. They're just out. They you know when I see people out fishing on piers like Juno and things like that, I think to myself, you know, they could be doing a lot worse. Yeah, no doubt. No you know, doubt. they could be out there, you know, doing a lot worse than catching snooks. So they're having a good time, and God bless them. You know, I did it too, and I got excited when I was a youngster and I'm not going to be the first one to deny that for many, many years there, I had no clue. We had no clue. And I, I certainly had no clue that 
holding up Big Snook by their bottom lip was really, really hard on them. Right, I didn't and, know, yeah. Oh, man, I've got a lot of photos that I'm, I look at them now, and I'm like, wow, whoa, man, that was <laughs> dumb, Dave. <laughs> right. Well, we I just didn't, we didn't know. We didn't know. No, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Then I started uh, uh, doing a lot of work, not so much. I, st- I started kind of helping out with uh, at Moat Marine and way, way back when Steve Surfling was uh, doing the hatchery and, and some of the guys over there were like, dude, you carry him like that, you're going to kill him. And I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, you lift them by that bottom lip when they're big like that and it's going to mess up their jaw and their internal organs and, and look at the study they did on Bear Monday, the same thing, you hold a Bear Monday by its bottom lip with any kind of weight to it and it, it, they actually die. Yeah. It's a bad, uh, it's a bad deal, and it's a word that you've helped spread on the radio shows before, and and I do appreciate it because I think it's something we need to make sure that the word gets out there about. I still see pictures from time to time of people holding them like that, and just you know knowing I, what we I, know I, now, I, it's just not good. Yeah, my feeling on that is there's so many people out there that are just more concerned about the photograph than they are the fish, and it's they don't have anybody with them, and uh, I don't know if you know who Eric Witted is. I know the name, but I, I, I can't place uh, it. He's, he's a guy that always like posts pictures with, uh, well, here lately he posts a lot of pictures with him and his belt. <laughs> it's for everybody's like teasing him, but he, he wants a term or something. But see, he figured out a way that um, if you go take a picture, he just puts his cell phone on a tripod and puts his photo on a delay mode, like five seconds, 10 seconds. Gotcha. He, you know? Yeah. So he holds the fish. He gets his picture with nobody with him, and he's not laying him in the sand. He's not laying him on the rocks. He's not laying him on the seawall or doing a selfie where he's holding a big snook out by its bottom lip to do a selfie with it. Right. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> well, that's a good point because that's stuff I don't think everybody's thinking about. Like you said, we're not. We're more worried about the picture than we are the fish. And, exactly. You and your John's Pass fishing off the rocks. And you catch them down, you know, down. You got to go down by the rocks by gators to catch them. Well, stay down there where you're catching them. And if there's nobody there to take a picture of it, don't worry about it. You know, forget about the, the male ego. I caught this great snook. <laughs> da, 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 you know, okay, forget it. Just leave them. Put them back in the water without the photo. You don't need it. If there's nobody there to take the photo, no, no, not there. They got to climb up the rocks. And then you look at the pictures. A lot of these pictures are posted. And the snook's missing scales. And it looks all beat up. And it's God knows how long it's been out of the water just to make that climb up the rocks. You know, and it's, uh, you know. But if you say something, you've called their mother a dirty name. <laughs> <laughs> Is there another fish, Dave? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the mad snooker, we know snook is your thing, but is there another fish that kind of pulls at your at your soul a little bit that you, you also enjoy catching? Oh, well, there's there's nothing quite like a, a 426 Emmy powered ladyfish with, uh, <laughs> which would be a tarpon. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always look at tarpon and I go, man, you are a Jurassic thread fin herring, aren't you? You know, it's just... I would think you fishing around the bridges and the lights at night, I would think you'd run into your fair share of tarpon as well. Oh, we've got lots of tarpon. It's funny. We, we, we'll be out snook fishing, and I'll go, hey, you guys want a tarpon? 
they just kind of look at me and their eyes get big and they're like, yeah, I go, well, there's a, you know, it's a bunch of 40, 30, 40 pounders right in front of us and ease up, ease up and look into the shadow and there they are cruising the shadow line and you just flip a shrimp out in front of them and boom. And uh, we've caught a lot of big ones doing that too, but um, it's just fun. I mean, the tarpon are amazing fish. To me, a trout, you know, catching spotted sea trout, uh, it's it's okay if the tackle's light. Right. But to me, they're sort of like, they remind me of a largemouth bass. Um, I give up. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not, you know, I'm not harping on bass fishermen. Good grief. Those are the guys who make the biggest money in the world as far as fishing goes, the, the bass masters, you know. Yep. Uh, that's where the money is, bass fishing, if you want to make huge money fishing. Um win those major bass tournaments and you're rolling in it but uh i've never been much for bass fishing and uh redfish you know i always say charlie mccarthy and mortimer snurd charlie mccarthy's a snook mortimer's the redfish um but mortimer fights harder <laughs> <laughs> no doubt no I, doubt. I go you know that's good when i was a kid the guy was teaching me how to snook fish he goes oh you hooked the mortimer and I go, you mean Mortimer Snurd? And he goes, yep. And I go, I go, that's what he called Redfish, Mortimer Snurd. And, and stuck with Charlie McCarthy. He said, because Charlie's smarter than Mortimer, Mortimer's stronger. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, and a Redfish is, you got, you know, a big Redfish has way more stamina than a big snook. But it's not a smart fight where a, a really big snook, a 30-pound snook or 35-pound snook, she's on a first-name basis, and she'll shoot for piling A, wrap you around B, and then cut you off on C, and then go high-five her buddy and say, look, I got another hook in my mouth. Check it out. <laughs> right. You know, hot, She'll high-thin her friend, but where, where a redfish has no method to its madness, it just goes. It doesn't have a target in mind. A big snook has some place she wants to go, and she'll run right for it, and oftentimes get there and break you off where no or, you know have, haven't you noticed that with redfish they you know they don't really have a method they yeah. just go i agree the redfish is just a dig to me they just dig they want to turn around and just dig and dig and dig no like you said no method to the madness a big snook you can almost bet whatever the closest piling to that fish is it's going to head right towards it it's unbelievable their uncanny ability to know right where the easiest and fastest way to cut you off is is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, but the thing that we, we now have the extreme upper advantage is we've got these braided lines, you know, like, you know, the the Invisibraid, all these Power Pro, and, you know, you got this amazing braid now, and and we've got stronger leader than we've ever had, stronger reels, stronger drag, stronger rods. You know, it's done, it's gotten to a point where, you know, you, we've got the upper hand now, and it's, you know, it's, it, it's almost cheating at times when you got this braid that we have today. When I was a kid, you had mono or Dacron, and if you took Dacron over to a concrete um, curb and then grab it with both hands and go rub, 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 snap. I mean, it just broke. Like I used to call it kite string. I'm like, I'm not using that kite string. I'm going to use mono. At least it's got some stretch and can take a little bit of time around the pylon. Right. I didn't like Dacron. I never liked fishing with Dacron. So when I was first learning how to catch big snook, I mean, I remember when I was just barely 13, uh, I was standing out on a, the, the Venice jetties and a bunch of mullet came around the corner. And I saw them getting blown. You know, I saw boom, blah, they were getting blown up. And I, I was like, wow, look at that. 
And he, he looks at me and goes, ah, oh, those are tarpon. I go, no, that didn't look like tarpon tails flopping over and with those stripes. And I grabbed a little cheesy little six-foot cast net that was in pretty bad shape. And I threw it, and I managed to catch a couple of mullet, and I tossed, tossed them in a bucket. And I grabbed the heaviest pole in the truck, which was, was at the time was a Penn uh, Long Beach 60. <laughs> Remember those? They were yeah. kind of brown. Yeah. And it, it was sitting on an old, ugly Shakespeare wonder rod. Um, <laughs> and I th- it had it, it was over. It, it had too much, too heavy a line on it, but it had 60 on it. And uh, I just tied a hook on to, uh, I tied a seven-aught hook that was kind of in rusty shape right to the 60, and I hooked on one of those mullets through the whip because I, you know, I didn't know where else to hook it. And I flipped it out around the corner, and I just started kind of cranking it, and it came around that corner and exploded, and I caught my first 30-pounder. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was around probably 30, 31 pounds, and, and, and Earl looks over at me and goes, give me one of them damn mullets. <laughs> <laughs> That's close. So he tried it and he hooked into one and it, it drug him down the rocks for probably, I don't know, 50, 60 feet before it wrapped him up and popped that 60 pound mono. <laughs> so but, uh, that's awesome. So let's, let's jump into something here. Um, you know, as, as I, I often do with these podcasts, I, I let the people know that I'm always looking for um, the people they want me to do a podcast with. Uh, and, and early on, your name came up, and obviously, because snook fishing is so popular here on Florida's West Coast, uh, they wanted to not only do a podcast with the Mad Snooker Dave Pomerleau, but they also wanted me to try to get to pry some tips out of you. So let's do some of that. Let's talk. I mean, what what's I mean, what is the secret, Dave? I mean, other than obviously you fish at night which I think is obviously a, a great move. It's always cooler, especially this time of year. Um, it's cooler. Fish are nocturnal feeders by nature, you know, ambush predators, all the good things that we know about fish in general. Um, but but what are some of the things you think that people do wrong when it comes to, you know, trying to catch that snook of a lifetime? Well, first off, let's, if we're, if we're talking from a boat, they put too many people in the boat. There's always, every time I see people out snook fishing, I'm like, look at this, man. They're out in their uh, boat. You know, maybe they're in a Carolina or they're in a Bayliner or they're, you know, whatever. Um, And, you know, I can, it's, I know this is going to sound kind of mean, but I I can look at the boat and tell you if I got a real snook fisherman on my hand generally. (laughs) If I see them out in Grandpa, if they're in Grandpa's uh, comfort cruiser, Grouper digger boat. I'm like, this is this is not a this is not a snook guy. This is a guy trying to catch snook. But there's usually too many people in the boat. You want to just get you and your best buddy, you know, <laughs> two people, and, and keep it stealthy. That's they, they, people make too much noise. I see it all the time. I see them ease up into a snook spot, and and they take the the anchor, and with all that chain, they don't ease it over. They throw it over. Right. I'm like. Ah, uh, you googan. <laughs> right. And then they start stomping around, and they got their boat lit up like the battleship Missouri, with lights going everywhere. It's lit up like an aircraft carrier, and they're they're opening up the hatches and the coolers and stomping around. Oh, my favorite one! They've got a radio going. <laughs> Gotta have tunes, Dave. 
Oh, yeah, they're out there listening to music and they're bebopping around and dancing and cracking beers. And I'm like, uh, they're having a good time, but they're not serious about it. The guys who are serious about it, and it's the funniest thing is the guys you usually see more serious about it than any of them are these young guys. These uh, these guys that are, you know, from, they're young, they're enthusiastic, they learn, they pay attention, they get on and... You know, and it's usually these young guys that, you know, for I guess you could say they're not married with kids yet. <laughs> right. As soon as you get married with kids, you're not out there all night snook fishing. <laughs> or you're in divorce court pretty quick. No um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep that, you gotta keep your priorities straight. Well, hence, I never had, had, uh, had a lot of luck keeping the relationships going that well because I was always out snook fishing. <laughs> <laughs> single Dave. The answer to why Dave is single. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm currently single, but I'm I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got a, I got a few on the line, but um, I'm really <clears throat> excuse me looking for a third shift gal, and it's you know, or at least a woman that'll put up with the fact that I am a night owl. I, I mean, swear. I. I normally don't get out of bed till three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right. So let, let's talk artificials. Let's talk plastics a little bit. Now, I know you have a few favorites. Um, what, when, why, how, best way to catch big snook on artificial baits, Dave? Well, for the longest, <clears throat> excuse me, for the longest time, many, many years ago, we used a big old um, Rapala's Magnum Rapalas, and we use wind cheaters, and we use bomber long A's, and uh, Magnum bombers, and then all of a sudden, you know, started they started putting out big swim baits. But I noticed with the big swim baits that, you know, you you get the hit, but if the swim bait was even weighted a little bit, they'd throw them a lot. And <clears throat> we used to, excuse me, we used a lot of jigs, and of course, uh, one of my fishing buddies for many years, Dave Justice invented the spool tech and uh, that was a kind of a game changer um, you know, they'd hit that thing and the, the hook would deploy out of the lure but, you know, it just <clears throat> I missed uh, I missed, I still missed a few on that you know, they, they'd hit it and you, the hook wouldn't deploy or you'd have a problem with it, or you'd get one on and it just spit the hook you know, wow. I mean, it, it would do and it, and it, the spool techs are great. Are they perfect? No, there's no one lure that's perfect out there. I've I've got a new bait that I've just tried recently called Gambler. It's this great big gambler bait that uh, Dylan Justice, Dave Justice's son, gave me, and it works great. Gambler, it sounds like it's coming out of the bass line a little bit. <clears throat> What's that? Gambler, it sounds like it's coming out of the bass side a little bit. Yeah. seven eight inches long and <clears throat> great big awkward looking thing and you run a big jig head through it and and it's a weighted jig head and you throw it out there and kind of work it the same way you work a spool tech and they you know they work but the thing about those is they're not twenty dollars a piece <laughs> you know yeah. spool techs make you feel bad when you lose them at twenty dollars a piece you know yeah. it's like oh wow dang mm -hmm. and that was uh you know, that was most people that I talked to, their problem with spool tech is, well, they had sometimes mechanical problems with them, but they were, you know, they were opposed to losing a $20 piece lure, but 
you know, I said, well, yes, it costs $20 a piece, but um, look at how many 30-plus pound snook have been caught with it, you know, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm... I like I like artificial bait. I love fishing with top water, and I still like to uh, occasionally, you know, throw jigs. I, I've thrown flare hawks over the years, but I won't guide with them. I'm not going to guide with a flare hawk because no matter what you say to Charlie, Jim, or Joe or whoever, um, he gets a little bumped by a lady fish, and the thing's only 12 feet from the boat, and he's going to do the Bassmaster hook set, and it's coming out of the water at about 150 miles an hour with two ounces of lead and a razor sharp hook buzzing by your head. Right. And I was just like, I did that for about a week, and I went, no, nah, we're done with that. We're <laughs> you want to throw flare hawks like that, and you ain't flare hawks like that 15 feet away. You do that on your own time, but not, not around my head. I always thought that was interesting, you know, the – the one direction that I wish I would have been able to take my business is more towards artificials. Um, just because I have, you know, that's where my passion is. I love to throw artificials and catch fish on soft plastics and topwater lures and hard baits and all that stuff. Um, it's really how I got started in the fishing game was, you know, chasing fish around on the pro redfish tournament trail, uh, all artificial style. So, that's where my passion is. So I wish at times I would have done more of that, you know, driving my business towards that artificial game, you know, a la C.A. Richardson, if you will. Um, and then I'm, I'm reminded sometimes when I have my people on my boat and we're fishing with, you know, pilchards and I'm watching them cast, you know, six, eight, nine feet from the boat and, you know, <laughs> throwing their baits off all the time and reeling the uh, hook up through the eye on the, on the rod and all that. And then I'm reminded how dangerous that can be if you're just throwing artificials uh, only and you have a bunch of customers on your boat that aren't very adept at throwing artificials. You can end up really, really hurt quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, you can imagine um, uh, magnifying that by now it's nighttime. Yeah, right. Good I, point. I am always amazed at... Um, when you get older gentlemen on the boat, um, they they suddenly reach a certain age and they no longer have the ability to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I can teach a I can teach a woman of any age, but I can't teach an older guy in eight hours. I can teach her in eight minutes. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, you talk about you know the the hook getting reeled into the eyes. It's that that's almost every other trip where I hear. I hear, you know, first I hear the knock going, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. Well, whoa, whoa, stop, just fell on deaf ears. Cling! <laughs> they, they stop when, when, when they're still going, and the hook's reeled into the eye. <laughs> uh, you know, it just, God bless it. I, I, I can't, you can't get upset about it, and I don't. And, they, and I get a lot of equipment gets broken. And uh, I get a lot of hooks flying by my head because I, I try to, you know, I've got silly rhymes. I tell people, if you make a bunch of noise with your feet, they're not going to eat. If you don't have the cast, you won't hook that. Rhymes with cast. You drop the bait on the head, the bite goes dead. You know, silly rhymes. But I always tell people when they're fighting a the fish, if you've got two people standing to your right, pull the fish to your left. Because if that fish jumps and spits that hook or that hook come, comes out of that mouth and you've got that rod aimed off to the right and two people are standing to your right, now that hook's coming back like a bullet right in somebody's face. No doubt. It's always one of the things I do, especially tarpon fishing. I like to uh, 
always remember that uh, if that thing comes unbuttoned, all bent over like that, that rod's coming back in a violent manner. <laughs> in a exactly, violent manner. and I've seen some people get cracked across the forehead with that, but oh, yeah. I can't even tell you how many hooks have bounced off my hat, hit me. I had one pink right off my, my front of my teeth. That one hurt. <laughs> I had one just about get me in the eye. I've been hooked in the, uh, the finger and the arm, and then people wonder why, you know, when they're pulling the pulling the fish in a direction that has it perfectly aimed at me while I get a little excited. And I'm not rude about it. And I don't cuss at them, but I'm like, could you please pull that the other way? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and if I don't nitpick the, uh, the little details, somebody's going to get hurt. And oftentimes when we pull up the fish, a tight spot, um, maybe there's four people on the boat, which it's not my favorite way to guide. I, I, I prefer two people. Sure. Two people is the way to go. Myself and two people. That's no doubt. That. But when you get four people, and you, 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 just, there's just no way. It's I did. I tell people all the time. I didn't make up the rules of how to catch snook. I learned how to read them. And you go into a tight spot with a snooker lined up into the current, and you've got to present the bait in just a certain way. If you get in there and you throw four lines at a time, you're going to get the middle fin. That's what you're going to get. Right. They're just going to lock up. Yeah. And the only thing you're going to end up catching is each other's lines. But then you get, you know, you go, okay, so what do we do? We do two at a time? Yeah, you can do two at a time, but the best way to do it is one at a time. And that gets them a little, you know, people go, they don't like that part, you know, because they're used to going out on these day charters and watching that pretty green cork up in the mangroves. Right. Well, you can't do that at night. And, and that little green cork is not advantageous to getting these fish to eat. You need a proper presentation. But now, I, so I got one guy, maybe I got three people on the boat, and I got the one guy taking a shot at him, and he's taking a shot. But while he's taking a shot, um, John is, or whoever is, just slammed the cooler lid. And I go, I look back, and I don't say nothing. I just kind of shake my head, and I'm like, well, you just undermined your buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, we call it snook blocking. Hey, you're blocking, you're blocking, you're <laughs> snook blocking him. And, uh, but... You gotta when you get up on a tight fishing spot, you you gotta. It's not about throwing multiple lines. It's certainly not about consuming a lot of alcohol or playing a radio, stomping around and even rolling the boat. If you're rocking the boat side to side, if you happen to be in a boat that's kind of rocky, um, it puts out a pressure wave, and these fish pick up on it. Especially um, you know the bigger snook. Once they sense you're there. Um, you're going to have a hard time with them if they, they sense your presence because they're they're very they're, they're they're they didn't get to be that big by being numb, and that's where a huge advantage to catching big snook was fishing without the boat. I've caught my biggest snook always. My absolute biggest monster snook have always been caught when I'm not in a boat. That makes sense. I mean, that's a I really when I all around big tanks of, on trailers with huge bait or artificial leave the bait we you know we don't even go get bait we just take artificials like spool techs and these big gamblers and these big swim baits and we just drive around and we go from spot to spot to spot and chasing the tide and going to feeding stations and throwing them low and slow and i um, mean i've caught but absolutely always my biggest snook when i was fishing for land i mean back i remember back in the 80s and 90s it was it wasn't uncommon to get five or six 30-pound snook a week. 
and we were never in a boat. I mean, we, we hardly used a boat when we went monster fishing. It was like, leave the boat at home. Right. It was easier, and you could cover more ground. I remember way back when I started taking people fishing in my truck. People went, what, what you do what? You put people in a truck, and you drive them around and, um, and do a snook fishing trip that way with no boat? And I go, yeah. And I sometimes cover 120 miles a night one way. No, and we would hit 40, 50, 60 spots in the night. But by the, by the morning time, by 4 or 5 in the morning, I look over, and they they got complete baby head. They're out like a light. I mean, they're sleeping <laughs> in the truck. And we're headed north from 100, 100, 120 miles away, but we've caught 70 or 80 snook. And they're sitting there passed up, but they got a grin on their face. <laughs> I remember that's kind of the way that uh, you were introduced to me. When I first met you, that was kind of Dave's thing, was more fishing from... You know, like you said, station to station, bridge to bridge, snooky area to snooky area, but not in the boat, uh, on the move. It would, so. be, it would be difficult to do those trips this time and now. It really would. I, I could do it, but I couldn't do it like I could do it then because um, the amount of fishing pressure has just quadrupled in the last 20 years. There's so many more people doing it, and right. uh, it's 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 crazy the amount of fishing pressure anymore and social media let's face it you know it's fun it's a good way to market and advertise but it seems to be like a, a, a I don't know a, 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 an ego my snook's bigger than your snook you know <laughs> like everybody everybody's in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a contest to see who can hold up the biggest fish and let's let's care more about the fish and less about that ego yeah, i always tell people that social media facebook and all that stuff is your best friend and your worst enemy on one tool it's the same thing exactly right. and you see how any you know and you see these young lions out there i was just watching a video uh that uh, took place on the east coast young guy 23 years old and he's catching these big stuck on top waters and i'm thinking uh-huh and you put that on TV, and you put that on social media, and you put that on a on a YouTube video, and you can now kiss it goodbye. Right. Yep. <laughs> you just ruined it. Yep. You should have just not worried about, you know, look what I can do. Dun, dun, dun. You should have <laughs> said, I'm not telling anybody, <laughs> and I'm not showing anybody, but no, you put it on, guess what? And in, next year, he's going to go back there, and he's going to try to do the same thing, and there's going to be five boats sitting there. Doing the exact same thing he was doing, and he showed everybody how to do. There's no doubt about it. One more thing I want to cover here before we wrap things up. Dave Pomerleau, the Mad Snooker, joining me on today's podcast. So as I'm reading, and, and maybe this is no longer the case, but your biggest snook ever, we have to touch base on this, 44 pounds, 11 ounces? Yes. Good God, son. It was almost, it was right around 46 pounds when I first pulled it out of the water. Um, but it dried up on ice, and after being on ice about uh, 12 to 14 hours, it weighed 44 pounds, 11 ounces. Yeah. And obviously, that a, obviously that's back in the day when you could keep a fish that big. Yeah, that was, that was probably the, yeah, that, that actually was only one other time that I ever brought home a big snook um, was, was uh, actually a few years before that. I was out fishing with Van Hubbard, and um, they, they were in season, and they were legal, and I, I had like a 26-pounder, and my mother wanted some fish. And I was maybe, what was I like then? I was probably 
18 years old. And uh, I got a 26, 27-pound snook with Van Hubbard down in Inglewood, and I was going to let it go, and, and Van reached over with a gaff and went, <laughs> I, I kind of went, oh, I was going to let that go. And Van kind of smiles at me goes, no, we eat them. And I was like, okay, um, all right. Uh, I didn't know I was, too, and I, you know, Van's a fantastic, and he's an incredible fisherman, and uh, one of the best in Inglewood. Uh, well, down in that whole southwest region, he's just incredible. And uh, but uh, I brought that. You know, I did bring that one home to my mom. But that forty-four pound, eleven ounce, I figured, man, it's just legal. It's in season. And uh, my buddy who was with me at the time, he says, "Well, are you gonna let that go?" I said, "Yep, right in the back of the pickup truck, because nobody's gonna believe this one." <laughs> and I, a, I remember when Frank Sargent came over. Um, I had it sitting in a cooler. And I mean the biggest cooler I've ever, I mean, it's a huge cooler, and it barely, barely fit in it. And I opened the lid on that cooler, and I didn't audibly hear him um, use a colorful metaphor, but I think I saw his lips say something. <laughs> like, holy moly. He was, he was like, wow. And when I, when I pulled it out, it just, keep, it just kept coming out. And that picture you see, Frank Sargent, the, the one where I'm holding it, you know, up sideways. Right. Um, those that picture Frank Sargent took, and he, you know, he, he even he was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and and Frank Sargent is, you know, he, he, probably the, the one of the greatest writers, outdoor writers I've ever I've ever seen. Bar none. I, I, I mean, figure Frank's he's probably top top five in the entire country ever. In my ever opinion. ever incredible. Ever. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. No doubt. No, uh, definitely a guy that we're going to get here on the podcast as well, just because uh, he's full of so much knowledge. Now, now for the trick question of all questions, where did you catch that fish? The story? <laughs> no, no. I caught it in Pine Island at the second bridge. That's the story? And the truth is <laughs> I caught it in Pine Island at the second bridge. <laughs> um, the second bridge that leads out to Matt Lachey, okay. Pine Island. Yeah, yeah. The first bridge is the drawbridge. The second bridge, there's three bridges. And the second one at the time was probably about two and a half feet deeper than it is now. It's all silted in now. And if you stood on the wall and pitched a big live bait, um, I was throwing mullet. And you just pitch a live mullet up under the bridge with a kind of a sideways backhanded sideways pendulum style throw and throw it up under the bridge and it, it shot out from under the bridge and I went, oh, you don't like it under there, do you? And I threw it back up under there again and it, I heard this thunderous pop and the mullet came shooting out from under the bridge. Well, I said, well, I got to slow you down a little bit. So I took the mullet and I kind of swung it out, swung it back in, let it hit the seawall, made it a little bit loopy. I know that sounds like no, you know, dirty mullet right activist listening. Sorry, but I threw the mullet back up under the bridge, a little bit more knocked out, and boom, and they got slammed. And people say I heard that the fish pulled you. The fish didn't pull me off the wall. My feet, the the my my footing got in the gravel, you know, in the slippery grass and the gravel. I got so excited and I'm shuffling around like a crazy person and my feet just slipped in this gravel and I boop onto my butt right out, right, out, right in the water, but the water wasn't that deep. It wasn't that deep at all, but I'm just standing there in the water and then I got to jump back up on the wall and it's just, yeah, it was just crazy, but I've uh, <laughs> got the fish and I've seen bigger. I've seen, 
photos of bigger fish, um, one caught in Jupiter by Eric Weiss. That fish was probably 55 pounds. Yeah. I know George Copeland from TNR Tackle and Tommy Green from uh, Custom Rod and Reel over there. They've caught snook that were bigger than the one I got. They've caught probably 50 pounders or darn near close to them. I know George tells stories about having um, a monster snook right at his feet that was probably you know, he said it was pushing 50, 55 pounds easy, and his buddy uh, from the Florida Marine Patrol had just reached over and grabbed it and just unhooked it. <laughs> like, no. What? You know? Uh, he was like, you you did what? Uh, or, or he got off the hook. I'm not sure of the whole story. And I know <laughs> Dylan Justice, David Justice's son, Dylan said he had one that was sitting at his feet that he estimated like 50 pounds, and it just came unbuttoned. And he said that one made him sick. Um, but you know, I've we all we all hear about this or that or that or this, and 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 I've seen some photos from um, down in uh, you know Fort Lauderdale, Miami area of snook that they gotta be fifty pounds. I mean, they're just huge. And I know that on average the the the, the snook on the east coast are certainly much larger than the ones on the west coast. Right. But um, in July. about it. Dave Pomerleau, the Mad Snooker, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you getting up early, even though it's uh, you know late afternoon, but uh, I know you have to go to work here in a couple of hours and run another trip. I appreciate you, my brother, as always. Uh, one of my very favorite people in the business. Keep doing what you do at the level you do it. Uh, so many of us are big fans of uh, the Mad Snooker, so keep up the good work, brother, and we appreciate you. Spend a little Thank time you, with us today, buddy. Podcast. I, I really enjoy listening to your podcast and what you guys do every weekend on, and the Real Animals TV show. It's excellent. And uh, you guys do a fantastic job, and we should get out and shoot one of those night episodes. I'm ready, buddy. we got to do it. I was just thinking that uh, on my way over here to uh, the studio to do the podcast today that you and I have been talking about it for years, and we need to get it in the book, my friend. Let's, uh, let's get together and try to put one together this fall. You got it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, brother. Absolutely a fantastic podcast. My good friend, the mad snooker, Dave Pomerleau. Just you could hear the passion in his voice, uh, his love of catching big snook. Uh, you know, the man has basically just dedicated his life to uh, catching big snook and conservation and, and uh, bettering the snook fishery and, and putting people on that snook of a lifetime just a a great friend of the real animals really really enjoyed spending some time with him today on the real animals podcast remember the real animals podcast available on apple Podcasts, stitcher tune in google play and ritampabay.com remember to subscribe rate and review and if there's anybody out there you'd like to hear us do a podcast with 
Please reach out to us on our social media outlets. You can reach out to us on Facebook at Facebook slash Real Animals, on Instagram at Real Animals TV, and on Twitter at Real Animals Fish. Remember the Real Animals podcast presented by Contender Boats. If you're looking to build that boat of a, of a lifetime, that custom dream boat you've always wanted, nobody does it better than Contender Boats. Thanks for tuning in checking us out today. We'll have another one coming out soon. Check them out. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Radio Influence Tampa Bay is always interested in adding new podcasts that are focused solely on the Tampa Bay area. If you have an existing podcast that fits the bill or have an idea that you want to bring to life, email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. Radio Influence and Radio Influence Tampa Bay. The future is now.